Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to be with you this day, Wednesday, December 29th. Um, reminder that this evening you can gather with us for divine service at 7 p.m. and we'll be uh, considering what it, well, a new year, New Year's Eve. All right. So do join us this evening. Um, but this morning, what we're going to do is think a little bit more about yesterday's feast day, the Feast of the Holy Innocents, but specifically the statement um, that was spoken there by Matthew, um, out of Egypt I called my son, all right? And it's prophetic fulfillment in Jesus. So we'll do that. Good. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Pray our memory verse, or we say our memory verse for the day. Excuse me a minute. There we go. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, verse 14. Our psalm is Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I arise, I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with my way, all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as, as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. As I said, uh, excuse me, yesterday in uh, our reading from Matthew chapter 2, we heard, out of Egypt I called my son. And uh, of course, Jesus going, fleeing from Herod's wrath and going down to Egypt uh, has its prototype in the Old Testament. And that's with Jacob. All right. So Genesis 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eye, on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their, carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. All right. So remember, uh, Joseph had been sold off into slavery, and... Uh, <clears throat> but had been wonderfully provided for by God um, so that he could then provide for his family who uh, were in the land of famine, right? Um, this out of, out of Egypt, I called my son, uh, appears in Hosea 11, for sure, and then also in Numbers 24, yeah, all right? But it, it's, I think it's narrative prototype is here uh, with Jacob going down into Egypt, and God will deliver them out of Egypt, although it will take 400 years, right? So let's think about that flight into Egypt by Jesus and how um, it's like this one by Jacob. Behold, how Christ fights against evil. He does it by humility. Herod seeks the young child, so he flees to Egypt. Herod desires to destroy him, so he hides until Herod is destroyed by death. And thus the word of the prophet is fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. For it was in the same feeble way that Israel, Jacob, had been delivered from Pharaoh. They who had no weapons saw their mighty enemies swallowed up in the sea, for God's power is made known in weakness. So Herod, like Pharaoh before him, is stricken with madness and a murderous mind, so he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem. Right? Think about all the death of um, the Egyptian, or in Egypt of the uh, Israelite children, male children, right? Okay, But still, he loses the battle to the poor, poor Christ child, whose response to this terror is to rest serenely in his mother's lap. Yea, terror and the holy blood of the innocents drenches the homes of the poor people, that is, of Rachel weeping for her children. But where is Christ? In Egypt, in token of the great Passover, when the firstborn of all the Egyptians were once likewise slain. For Christ is our Passover, and his blood marks all his faithful who await the day of his just judgment, when the destroying angel shall vindicate them all, as he demonstrated ahead of time by the death of Herod. Right? And that's when, of course, Jesus uh, returns right, with Joseph and Mary, his mother. Um, there's a, also a phrase there in the meditation that's important, who await the day of his just judgment. Right? So we need to talk a little bit about the justice of God and what does that mean? To do so, um, we're going to hear first from uh, the epistle, First Peter, I should say, Peter's first epistle, and then uh, also uh, how this epistle is used um, in response to 
the Roman Catholic teaching on, uh, on confession. All right. So, 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. All right, so we have, obviously, with the suffering of uh, Jesus and his family as they flee to Egypt, um, of Jacob, Israel, and his family as they were uh, initially go to Egypt with receptive arms, but of course, it turns into bondage and slavery to Pharaoh. Um, so it is with us, right? I mean, we don't always live a life in this, in this world um, that is free of burden and of suffering and of difficulty, right? Of famine or <clears throat> of murderous sword. Right? But what do we do? We commend ourselves to the Lord. We commit our souls to him in doing good, that is confessing his name, being forgiven freely for the sake of Jesus, right? Uh, and trusting all things to him, um, believing that he will work them out for our good and for the good of those who love him. Um, in the apology, I think it is, let me see if I've got it here. Yeah, the, no, no, actually just in the Augs, apology to the Augsburg Confession, excuse me, our response to Rome on confession and satisfaction. Um, you know, the Roman church has this doctrine that um, you must make um, satisfaction for your sins. So that's, uh, we call that penance, I think usually, right? So if you, uh, depending on the severity of your sin, there's a certain number of uh, prayers of, of might, of, um, excuse me, of offerings to be given, um, or perhaps acts of penance, other kinds of acts of penance or charity, um, uh, service, that sort of thing, right? Um, those things cannot be commanded, um, although those certainly are a benefit or a fruit of faith that one would pray or to, or to uh, do, do good or try to restore to those whom you've done wrong. All of that is a fruit of faith, faith that comes in the forgiveness of sins, right? So we disagree with Rome um, in that those things need to be commanded. Um, they can be instructed, but there you go. All right. So um, here, here's what uh, Melanchthon writes. The adversaries at Rome object that revenge or punishment is necessary for repentance because Augustine says that repentance is revenge punishing and so on. We grant that revenge or punishment is necessary in repentance, yet it is not necessary as merit or price, as the adversaries imagine that the satisfactions are necessary. But revenge is in repentance formally, that is, because rebirth itself happens by a continuous putting to death of the oldness of life. The saying of Scotus um, may indeed be very beautiful, that penitence, poitentia, is so called because it is, quote, holding to punishment, poene tententia. But what punishment, what revenge does Augustine speak about? Right, so we're not talking about revenge in the sense of uh, um, like paying, paying others for the sins that they've done against you, but rather um, uh, the punishment for sin, right? 
What revenge does Augustine speak about? Certainly true punishment, true revenge, namely contrition, true terrors. Nor do we exclude here the outward putting to death, the mortification of the body, which follows true grief of mind. The adversaries make a great mistake if they imagine that canonical satisfactions, those are the satisfactions that are outlined in canon law of Rome, are more truly punishments than are true terrors in the heart. They must be foolish to twist the name of punishment to these dull satisfactions, and not to refer people to the horrible terrors of conscience of which David says, the cords of death encompassed me. Psalm 18. Who would not rather, clad in metal armor and equipped, seek the church of James, the basilica of Peter, and so on, than bear that violence of grief that is beyond words and exists even in persons of ordinary lives, if there is true repentance? All right. So here's what Melanchthon's arguing, is that these acts of penance are actually um, weaker versions of the actual punishment for sin um, that, that bears upon the conscience of people, if, if, it's allow, if the law is allowed to, to be preached in its full severity. Rather than give people an easy out, do these things and you'll be fine, right? And appease their conscience, not in forgiveness, but through acts of penance. Um, but what we're arguing for is actually that, that, that the law is allowed to do its full work and that the terror of conscience is a far more severe um, punishment for sin than any of these acts of penance, community service or charity or uh, so many Our Fathers or Hail Marys, right? So let the law be the law and let the terror of conscience be what it, the gift that it actually is, is that it drives us to repentance for the forgiveness of sins. They say, Rome, that it belongs to God's justice to punish sin. He certainly punishes it in contrition when in these terrors he shows us, shows his wrath, right? So the terror of conscience is the wrath of God upon sinful man, right? And any attempt to appease the conscience by other means is actually a um, corruption of, of the work that God's word does by his law. Key. Just as David shows when he prays, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger. Or in Jeremiah, correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Here indeed the most bitter punishments are spoken of. The adversaries admit that contrition can be so great and satisfaction is not required. Contrition is, therefore, a more, more truly a punishment than is, than is satisfaction. Okay, and by satisfaction, we're talking about acts of penance to make satisfaction for sin. Besides, saints are subject to death and all general afflictions, as 1 Peter 4, 17 says. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Right? So that was our reading that we just had. Although these afflictions are, for the most part, the punishments of sin, Yet in the godly, they have a better end, namely to exercise them, to remove them, that they may learn amid trials to seek God's aid, to acknowledge the distrust of their own hearts and so forth. As St. Paul says himself, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 2 Corinthians 1. Isaiah says, they poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Isaiah 26. That is, afflictions are a discipline by which God exercises the saints. Not in the sense of like running or jogging or something, um, but in terms of exercising sin. All right. Likewise, afflictions are inflicted because of present sin, since in the saints they put to death and extinguish lustful desires, so that they may be renewed by the Spirit, as St. Paul says. The body is dead because of sin, Romans 8. The body is put to death, mortified because of present sin that is still left in the flesh. Think of our memory verse last week. Death itself serves this purpose, namely to abolish this flesh of sin, that we may rise absolutely new. Since by faith, 
the believer has overcome death's terrors, faith in Christ, right? There is no longer in the believer's death that sting and sense of anger of which Paul says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, 1 Corinthians 15. This strength of sin, this sense of wrath, is truly a punishment as long as it is present. Without this sense of wrath, death is not properly a punishment. Furthermore, canonical satisfactions do not belong to these punishments. Right? All the acts of, that, that the priest would obligate you to perform to try to respond to sin, again, they're a corruption. They, they don't actually bring about contrition because they, you do not experience the full terror of your sin in your conscience. Got it? All right. The adversaries wrongly say that by the power of the keys, a part of punishments is forgiven. Not the whole sin, but only part. Likewise, according to these very men, the keys pardon the satisfactions and the punishments because of which the satisfactions are made. But it is clear that common troubles are not removed by the power of the keys. Right? So there's always consequence for our sin in this life. Right? And those are not removed by the forgiveness of sins. We still suffer as a result of what we have done, what we have said, what we have thought that's contrary to God's word. Right? That's why we pray the Lord lead us not into temptation, that we be led out of temptation. So we don't suffer that consequence in this life. If the adversaries wish to be understood regarding these punishments, why do they add that satisfaction is to be accomplished in purgatory? So then you get into the whole doctrine of purgatory. Like, why is that there? Right? Um, so this is, this is key when we talk about, as Lutherans, we talk about law and gospel, right? Um, the, uh, I mean, you might even say, I mean, if we want to apply it to the uh, flight into Egypt, um, remember that, well, actually, actually, we should apply it to the flight into Egypt by Jacob, because um, remember, why have they been brought into Egypt? Yes, to preserve their life, right, in the midst of a famine, but why the famine? Because they had rejected um, their brother, right? They had forsaken their brother. They had sinned against him grossly. They'd sold him off. Well, they sought his life initially, and then um, secretly he got sold off into slavery, right? But God, as, as Joseph will tell them, has taken what you meant for evil, and he has worked it for the good, right? That is, that, that Jacob and his whole household, the 12 tribes would be saved, future 12 tribes, right? Um, but that punishment is not removed, but the punishment, they feel the full severity and the weight of their sin. Right? Their conscience is stricken with terror. Um, as Joseph, remember, um, puts uh, their payment um, back in their, in their bags, right? and they discover this, right? and they fear for Benjamin's life, who's left behind. All right? So they feel the full terror of the weight of the law for what they had done. Um, but up until that point, these brothers had thought, yeah, their brother had been sold off in slavery. Everything was fine, copacetic. Nobody would ever know. And then their conscience was not severely affected as it needed to be. So it had to be informed by, um, by the word of Joseph and by those actions that Joseph took so that they would know their sin and confess and be forgiven, right? And that they, then as you see with Joseph and his brothers, they weep over each other. This applies, of course, um, to the flight into Egypt, right? Where we see, um, you know, a prefigurement of how Jesus, um, he walks with us into the valley of the shadow of death, right? Um, but we don't need to fear evil because he's with us. His rod and his staff, um, they comfort us. They deliver us. Right? As he dies upon the cross, he delivers us through death right into life. But we do pass through death into life. right? This life, suffering, misery, the bearing of the cross, this is all actually necessary for us. And we don't, I know we were tempted to shy away from, from suffering and difficulty and, and to mute the pain by uh, drinking or drugs or whatever, right? or just to run away. 
Um, but we, and, and, and certainly there's a time not to um, go all in and, and to intentionally suffer. But the suffering that the Lord puts upon us that we can't escape, um, that's meant to bring us to repentance for the forgiveness of sins, right? to draw us back to faith in Christ. So um, it's just as you saw there in First Peter, right? Uh, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. God judge, does judge sin, and he judges us on basis of our sin as guilty, right? But again, to drive us to faith in Christ so that we would confess, be forgiven, right? And then be judged not guilty for the sake of him, the sake of Jesus. But what of those outside the household of God? Yeah, like the firstborn in Egypt. Yeah. All right, very good. It's a little bit strange for the fourth day of Christmas, right? Yeah, so it is. Excuse me, fifth day of Christmas. Fifth day of Christmas. All right, our catechism this week is uh, explanation to the second article. We say it together. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. Let's just skip ahead here. Let's pray. O God, our maker and redeemer, you wonderfully created us and in the incarnation of your son, yet more wondrously restored our human nature. Grant that we may ever be alive in him who made himself to be like us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children live in ordered harmony according to the word of God, for parents who must rear their children alone, for our communities and neighborhoods. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. All right, we pray this day for the households of our church, especially that of Roger and Sherry, Willis, Dick and Jean, Jackie, Jesse and Lisa, Jed and Rebecca. Continue to pray with the Larsons at the birth of Dorothea. Pray for those ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Kelsey, Frank, Amanda, Dan, Timothy, Janice and Colin, Ken, Norm, Sandy, Kathy, Jim, Elaine and Mike. Pray for our homebound Bev, David, Roy, Willis, Mickey and Paul. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church especially a place of refuge. We ask the Lord to give us a blessed end to this life and a blessed resurrection to eternal life in his son, Jesus. Pray for those grieving, especially Roger, Rhonda, Dionysio, and Wallace. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, let's sing our hymn. Oh, rejoice ye Christians loudly. 
Hope I can hear you. good to have you all with us today for our congregation prayer guide for daily meditation and prayer around god's word come to you every morning so join us again tomorrow morning 9 a.m uh what is tomorrow morning 9 a.m oh it'd just be december 30th ah. 
So uh, not a special day. Well, still be the sixth day of Christmas, my yes, true love gave to me. Um, let's see, anything else? Oh yes, tomorrow or tonight, seven p.m. Divine service, New Year's Eve observed. All right, so join us for that. Uh, if you're all to, at all able to come out in person, do so. All right, we'll see you then, and uh, otherwise, we'll see you tomorrow. God be with you all.